Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So many times in life, we come to a fish or cut bait moment. I love that expression. It's become a part of our culture. It has the idea, and we can even picture it, that we're in a boat. We're with this old salty fisherman, and maybe he's got a pipe, and and I'm just a little kid, and I'm kind of goofing off with my brother, and finally this fisherman turns over and he says, are you guys going to fish or cut bait? And, And the question is, are you here to catch fish? Are you just here to take up space and goof around? And sometimes we're asked, that by the Lord. Why are you following me? Do you really intend to obey me? Do you really intend to make me your Lord? Now, Jesus is an amazing coach. And as we come to these last few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us three things surrounding the warning, watch out or beware. The first is beware of easy disobedient religion. The second is beware of fast talkers. And the third is beware of building bad buildings. And they're all built around the idea of being a good doer. Let me first give us a a big contextual overview of what we've learned from the Sermon on the Mount. That in the Beatitudes, we learned that Jesus is calling us to an upside down world. I pictured for us taking a pyramid and inverting it, where Jesus says to us, instead of climbing the ladder, climb down, serve other people, become humble, uh, become merciful, become broken, and being willing to even be persecuted for my sake. Don't always be thinking of how do I become successful, the most famous, the most important, the most popular. Then we came to the heart of the the very sermon where he says, I have chosen you to be salt and light in the world. And that means that we are transforming and we are called to be transforming agents penetrating the world that we're in, in every way imaginable. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is all about becoming the real deal. And now he concludes it surrounding the word doing. And I want to read to you verse 12, which is where Nick Gilmore left us the last time we were together. And this verse intros all of what we have for the rest of the sermon. So in everything, and remember in the Greek, everything means everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets key idea. The Christian faith is a doing faith. Let me repeat that. The Christian faith is a doing faith. I think oftentimes because of the background in Protestantism and the emphasis on sola fide, which is only faith or faith alone, we think that the Christian faith is only a faithing faith. But the Christian faith is a doing faith. And Jesus' half-brother, the the apostle James, who overruled the Jerusalem church, he caught on to that and he wrote it in his epistle. You show me your faith by 
without deeds. He says in James 4, 2.18, you show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by my deeds, a doing faith. So in bringing re-radicalized to a conclusion, the idea is that we are doers. How we treat other people in this COVID moment is part of our faith. How we treat other races in this racial injustice moment is part of our faith. How we treat our household in, in this tense moment of being locked down or how we treat our neighbors is part of our faith. That we are not a people of just good intentions. We're not a people of random acts of kindness. We are a people of doing faith. And now with that, here's the three doing things we need to be focused on. We need to not go through the wide gate, travel on the wide road, but we need to be doers who are traveling the narrow road. That brings us to verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Pilgrim's Progress used this idea in the beginning of John Bunyan's popular work where he has the protagonist, Christian, going through the wicket gate. And you can picture this small little wooden gate that the pilgrim who's following Jesus has to enter in through. So we normally think of the narrow gate as being the beginning of our faith. And consequently, many Christians who read this answer the passage and say, I have already entered through the narrow gate. I am following Jesus. But the verses here paint a different picture. It has the idea of the narrow gate perennially existing throughout our Christian walk and the road is this narrow road that we don't just pass on once and for all but it's a road that I need to recheck over and over again to make sure that I'm on the narrow road and in the context the narrow road is doing what Jesus asks us to do. Let me give you the verses that give us the full context here. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In verse 16, by their fruit, their doing, you will recognize them. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice. Again, it's doing. So obedience to Jesus is key. It's the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. Are you gonna follow him with obeying or not? When we discover the grace of Jesus, when you're smitten by the love of Jesus, it calls for us to now do. We don't just nod and curtsy at the love of Jesus, but now we pursue after him, following him to what he wants us to do. 
The point is with the narrow gate is that it's pointing to the, the life of a shepherd. And the life of a shepherd is to lead sheep through narrow gates. Some of you have traveled on the Cotswolds or you perhaps have been up into the Lake District or even Scotland in, in, in Britain. And you'll have these series of narrow gates that you have to pass through uh, as, as you're, you're traveling. And the shepherd would have to do the same thing with the sheep. But guess what? Sometimes there's wayward sheep. Now that wouldn't be you and it wouldn't be me, but it would be somebody. In Christianity, sometimes there's wayward sheep where we're just gonna do what we wanna do. We have this self-will as sheep where I follow my desires. I do what I want. I think what I want. And I'm just sometimes a self-indulgent sheep. But we need at those moments to say, no, that's the wide road. I wanna follow the narrow road. And how do we do that? Folks, it's easy. It's easy. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the instructor, the leader of your faith. Just follow him. You know, when I've taken up, taken people out to learn surfing, sometimes I can have it made really, really easy because they'll be a really great surfer. Trust me, that's not me, but a really great surfer out in the lineup. And I'll say to the neophyte, I'll say, hey, you want to become a great surfer? Just do what that guy does. Paddle where he paddles, sit where he sits, and ride the wave the way he rides the wave. Lesson over. And that's the left lesson of our faith. Go where Jesus is going, even in the hard moments of life. So in this Fisher cut bait moment in the Sermon on the Mount, it's let's become doers and enter through the narrow gate, stay on the narrow road of doing what Christ asks us to do. Secondly, beware of false prophets. He says in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are voracious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's the key line. By their fruit, the fruit of leaders, the fruit of other Christians, you will recognize their authenticity. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. There it is, doing the will of our father produces fruit. Obeying produces fruit. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or in your name drive out demons or in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
The proof is in the pudding. Another expression we have. Just like fish or cut bait is an expression in our culture. The proof is in the pudding. What is a false prophet? In the Old Testament, a term that's used over and over again to first describe someone who's telling us something that God has not really spoken. It's usually, secondly, someone who wants to lead us to follow him rather than to follow God. And then the third thing is we end up at a destination that we didn't want to end up at because we've now followed the false prophet instead of the true prophet. In the New Testament, it becomes even a more important term, and Jesus uses it in conjunction with the phrase, voracious wolves. They look like a shepherd. They look like they have my interests in mind, but actually they have their own carnivorous uh, appetite. They want to take advantage of you. They want you to become a follower of them where they build you around their kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. So what do we do? How do we know who is a false prophet or a true prophet? So Jesus makes it really simple. There's just either good fruit or bad fruit. You know, in the music industry, people have debated for a long time who made the expression there's only two kinds of music, good or bad. And many people thought it was Dylan, and then some people thought it was Johnny Cash, and then some people, Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong. But guess what? I found out that it was the great Italian composer Rossini of the 19th century. And he was saying, it's not about German music, Italian music, French music. There's just good or bad. And it's really in Christianity. It's not whether you go to this church or that church or this church. It's really is good fruit coming out of your life. Jesus is the ultimate fruit picker. And so when we stand before him, he's actually determining whether we've followed him or whether we have followed ourselves or some other leader. And he gives us this stern warning that there might even be some people that have cast out demons, performed miracles, done all kinds of great things like healings, but were they following Jesus or were they gathering people to follow him? And the proof of the pudding will be fruit. The third area is the command for us to become wise builders. Look with me to verse 24. Therefore, just as there was a narrow road, therefore, just as there are false prophets, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That is, the person's secure. This, these passages are not to make us worried or nervous. They're actually to make us peaceful because we know that we're building our house on something that's solid. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, the heat against that house might have affected it, yet it did not fall because it was built on a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came up, the rain came down rather, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. He's predicting that there's going to be tough times following Jesus. This world isn't easy. This world is still fallen. This world is still under the rulership of the enemy of our souls. We still wait for the return of Christ. And what will you and I do in the hard times? He says, we'll be good, we'll be fine, as long as we decide that I'm really following Jesus and I'm learning to obey him. Not earning my salvation, but following him because he has saved me. Now, why would we build something without a foundation? It seems so ridiculous. Well, the answer would be, I wanted to build really quickly, or I wanted it to be easy, or I wanted it to be without cost, or I wanted to impress people. And Jesus says, that's not going to work. In the tough times, it's going to come down. When I was a second class uh, in, in scouts, I joined the Boy Scouts later than all my friends. And I wanted to move from tenderfoot to second class. And you had to be able to tie all your knots to be able to move to second class. And do you know what? I still don't know how to tie multiple different knots. I love to sail. Um, I find myself all the time packing things and I'm horrible at knots. And do you know why? My friends who were already first class and second class, they said, oh, Mark, you know your knots. You know your knots. We'll just sign you off as if you do. And I took the easy road. And to this day, I can't tie a knot. Well, it's kind of like that in our faith that sometimes Jesus asks us to do tough things. Tell your wife you're sorry. Be a leader in the workplace, modeling excellence and ethical uh, morality in how you deal with finances. Um, be a person that cares for all your neighbors. Be a person that stands up for, for love and equality. And sometimes, we decide not to obey. And those are the moments I'm taking the easy road. I'm copping out and I'm dangerously on a wider road than the narrow road that Jesus calls us to. I've found myself during this lockdown um, hearing God's voice about things in my own life. Maybe you have too. I, I found more of myself during this lockdown and I have found myself being impatient at times and being unkind with my words. And the Lord will speak to me. He said, that's, that's not what I'm calling you to. Come on, Mark, follow me. It's a fisher cut bait moment. There's a great quote from a guy named Peter Forsythe. He was a, a Scottish theologian out of the 19th century. And he says this, the first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom but it's master. Oh, how that seems to cut it 
across the grain of American culture because American culture is the first job of every soul is just find your freedom, celebrate self, celebrate who you are, find out what your desires, find out what your color is, well, find out what you like to do because it's all about you. But in following Christ, if you want to find yourself, you have to lose yourself and find him. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. So at the close of the sermon, he's really asking us the question, am I your Lord? Will you follow me? Chuck Swindoll has been a great teacher over my lifetime, and uh, he told a story years ago that I think is germane to this very passage that we're studying. He asks us to imagine, and I'll make this contextual to the COVID experience we're in. Imagine that there is this CEO, this president of a company, and, and he says to his company right before the COVID lockdown, hey guys, I gotta travel. I'm traveling to Italy. And I'm going to be doing business over there. I'm going to stay in a villa with my family over there. I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. And, and I want you guys to take care of everything in the company. Now, I've, I've spoken to all of you. I've written copious notes to everyone of how the company is to be run while I'm gone. And I'm going to be emailing you while I'm gone to make sure that everything is copacetic just the way I want it. And he gets over to Italy and the COVID uh, virus hits. So he's locked down, not for weeks, but he's stuck for months and he's waiting for a time that he can fly back. So he keeps FaceTiming and emailing the employers asking, how is everything? How is the bottom line? How's the company functioning? How are all the different partners of our corporation functioning? And, and the answer is, great, chief. Everything's going great. Awesome. He finally flies back home, and he's walking up to the building of their corporation. He sees the weeds have grown, that the building is kind of dilapidated on the outside. He comes inside, and he finds the employees playing ping pong. And this isn't Google. They're playing ping pong. People are goofing off, throwing paper airplanes, uh, dozing off at their desk, just a lot of horseplay. And he frowns and he asks the question, what happened? I sent you copious amounts of emails. Did you not get them? And they say to him, Oh, chief, we got every one of your emails. In fact, we printed everyone up. In fact, we passed it around. In fact, we put it in a book. In fact, we meet once a week to memorize and give respect to your emails. But the question is, did you do them? And sometimes I think in the church, we have the Bible, we memorize the Bible, we honor the Bible, we got all the emails from our Lord. But the question at the end of the day is not did you hear them, did you do them? Folks, the cross was not just God's heart for you, but it was a great doing. It was a great doing from heaven for you. Love 
is the expression of doing, not just feeling. And now he says, tag your it, come and follow me. Today we're going to have communion. And I've asked Pastor Jim to come and lead us in this time. And I want you to use this moment where we have the bread and the cup. And you may wanna just push pause and run and get a cup of grape juice or wine and to get a piece of bread or, or cracker. And, and if you're with your family, uh, to celebrate it amongst your, your family there. And to use this moment as your fish or cut bait moment to actually say, Jesus, I'm in. When I started following you, when I, I believed in you, I intended to follow you all the way on the narrow road and build my house on the rock. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this rich passage of your word and this time of worship. And now, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon each one of us in our homes, wherever we're viewing, uh, that you would speak to our lives as we are learning to follow you and to be doers of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So being a father of four, I've had moments of glory, but there's also been times where I haven't been a, a very patient father, just haven't done it well. And uh, but I'm thankful that my kids have been gracious to me. And so is our Heavenly Father, and I'm so glad that he is. In fact, that while he still speaks truth into my life, he has shown such grace and mercy and forgiveness, especially in sending us his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And that's why we're here together today, to take communion together. And so as we hold on to this bread, this symbol of Christ's body, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you chose out of your great love for us to come to this, into our world and to suffer, to be tortured, to be beaten and bruised for our sakes. We are forever grateful. Let's partake together. And as we hold this cup, a symbol of the redemption of Jesus Christ, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we are reminded of your shed blood. For without it, there is no remission of sin. We can't do this without you. And we are forever grateful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Let's partake. And Father, we come together and we just thank you so much that we recognize who you are and how much you love us. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us your life. Lord, help us now to go out and do our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a rich time we've had together. And now I wanna pray a blessing on you. And the thought comes from Philippians chapter two, where Paul, in this very vein that we've been studying, says, it is the, it is the spirit of God, it's God himself who is in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So may the Holy Spirit, 
who is on you, may the Holy Spirit who is in you give you and I both the will to obey and the power to do what he's called us to do by his grace. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turns face toward you and peace. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.